Hello, and welcome to the Wellness for Life podcast, where we bring you inspirational stories, engage in discussions on relevant topics about the health of body, mind, heart, and soul, as well as other positive content designed to enrich your health and well-being journey. I'm your host, Karina Stewart, founder of Kamalaya Wellness Sanctuary, Chief Wellness Officer, and Masters in Traditional Chinese Medicine, specializing in women's health, food for healing, and mental and emotional well-being. The Wellness for Life podcast is brought to you by Kamalaya Wellness Sanctuary and Holistic Spa in Thailand, an internationally acclaimed, multi-award-winning destination retreat nestled amidst granite boulders on an idyllic tropical landscape and encompassing sunrise and sunset ocean views on the southern coastline of Koh Samui. Renowned for holistic wellness programs that are results-oriented, promote vibrant health, and revive your connection to life's infinite potential, Kamalaya offers personalized journeys for lifelong wellness. For those of you who have been following Kamalaya's Wellness for Life podcast from the very beginning, you would probably remember that our first ever podcast was about healthy eating, where Layla and I, our head naturopath at Kamalaya, covered the fundamental essentials of eating for good health and the importance of diet. Layla's upbringing within a family that used traditional herbs inspired her to study natural healing modalities as an adult. And with a bachelor's degree in health, science, homeopathy, further studies in nutritional therapy, and over 15 years of experience working in the natural health field, she's passionate about assisting people to return to health using a naturopathic approach. In this podcast, together with Layla, we will be diving deeper into the subject of nutrition. We have collected the most popular and the most asked questions about nutrition, and we will be covering these for you today. Layla, welcome back. It's great to have you on our podcast again, and I look forward to breaking down the most talked about topics in the field of nutrition together. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, welcome <laughs> back. Um, it's such a big topic, nutrition, and it's become so, so popular and of great interest to people around the world. And um, I suppose with the research that has been coming out on the microbiome and the connection to different parts of us, including yeah. our brain and our immune system, um, maybe we could start there. So yes. what is a microbiome? <laughs> what is the microbiome and why is it important? Um, a very good question. Um, I mean, um, it's kind of important to sort of um, look at it this way that microbiome is basically a host of microbes. So we're looking at you know, it could be bacterias, uh, fungi, protozoas, it could be viruses, a host of these microorganisms that actually live harmoniously together within the body. Now they could be, you know, they could be on the skin, they could be in the gut, they could be in the vaginal tract, they could be various different parts, and there'll be a different combination of them in the body. And they all basically play a significant role. Now, Obviously, there's a lot of research out there saying that, you know, for every one human cell, we've got like 10 uh, microorganisms, microbes living within us. So it says a lot about how important they are and how we kind of have this um, 
uh, sort of harmonious life together in a way. Yes, yeah, symbiotic life Symbiotic, together, exactly. Yes. Yeah. They much. depend on us and we depend on them. Totally. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> very much. I mean, and they have a massive impact. I mean, if we look at the gut health, for example, I mean, this is a big trend now. Everyone's talking about gut, gut microbiome. Let me test my microbiome. Let me see what I have and haven't got. And, um, I mean, it's, um, it's, they, they play a significant role. I mean, they have a massive role on how we digest our food, it, how we produce our vitamins and minerals, for example. Um, they have a massive impact on our sleep, on our mental health, um, on many, many different factors. So they have a very, very big role. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, um, what they, what they're realizing now is like, you know, there was this whole talk about the gut brain connection. Now, sometimes I talk about the gut-brain microbiome connection. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's quite fascinating yes. when you kind of dig deep and how much impact Well, it has. is fascinating because it brings, it highlights again the importance of an ecosystem, right? And the diversity um, within an ecosystem is a big determinant to health, whether it's in nature, you know, to have diversity or whether it's in our own bodies. And so that brings to my mind, if we understand that, the microbiome is an ecosystem, um, not only in our gut, but also on our skin, as you said, also in our um, uh, uh, vaginal tract, mm -hmm. that um, to have diversity is important for, for it to be healthy, for the microbiome to be healthy, but also in the right balance of the good uh, organisms and the not so healthy organisms. So what are some of the things that impact the microbiome in our lives. Yeah, um, I mean, the great that you mentioned about diversity. That's 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 a really important thing. I mean, you do get as soon as you say, oh, you know, you've got bacteria and viruses and protozoas and fungi <laughs> living in you. Everyone's looking at you, going, oh my god, I'm going to be full of. <laughs> <laughs> get rid of them, please. Exactly. And how do I get rid of them? But really, right now, it's yeah. like, how do we make them healthy exactly. for us? And how do we kind of, you know, bring that balance between them? Yes. And um, one of the, I mean, one factor is obviously, you know, genetically we do carry certain microbiomes from our parents and then we kind of bring that with us. The other aspect. So I, I want to say at that point that, um, so how we're born, whether it was a vaginal delivery yes. or whether it's a cesarean section is the first component um, that determines the health of our microbiome. And though we can offset a cesarean birth, um, Ideally, we would receive an incredible inoculation from our mother's microbiome when we are delivered vaginally. In fact, a friend, a very close friend of mine, she's like my younger sister. Um, she has a gorgeous son of which I am the godmother and, um, she had to have a cesarean. Uh, she, she thought she was going to have a cesarean birth. And she said in Taiwan, because I mentioned about the microbiome and she said, Oh, yeah, yeah, in Taiwan, Every cesarean birth, they take swabs of the mother's um, vagina with, you know, sanitized cloths, and then they rub it on the baby right after delivery to simulate as closely as possible a vaginal birth because they know the importance of the Amazing. microbiome. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's the first yeah. determinant. What, what after that? Um, after that, I would say is also, you know, what you're exposed to. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time just being, um, just being out in nature, touching earth, being exposed to different microbiomes or different kind of things that are out there can also boost your colony in a sense. Right. I mean, nowadays you see a lot of people that are all worried, you know, they're sanitized, they're clean, they're over clean things. Mm -hmm. And that also kind of depletes, it takes away from the variety of the 
microbiomes that you could have in your gut. Yes, it's restrictive. It's, exactly. It, we think that it's really healthy to sanitize completely the house and not allow the child to play in the mud and the dirt yeah. and with the animals. But in fact, um, being exposed to more varieties in different environments, such as playing in the dirt and being around animals, seems to really also increase yeah. the diversity of, of the exposure to different microbiota exactly. so that uh, we are inoculating ourselves and touching different people. Um, you yeah. know, touching yeah, different, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if we go to the playground and we're around other little kids as we're growing up and we're around people, that enhances and enriches our own microbiome. Yeah, very much. I wonder what the impact of these last couple of years where we had a lot less physical contact and cross-pollination, I like to call it, <laughs> of these microorganisms with one another. Yeah, it would have a massive, and the fact that we were sanitizing everything as well. On top so, of it. Yeah, on top it, of it. It, it. It would be interesting to see what happens later on, yes. for sure. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's very true. We need, we need that kind of exposure to have the diversity. But also what we eat is also important. Yes. I mean, um, you know, it's the, the variety of foods that we have, the whole foods that we have, it ha you know, having it, I call it live food where it's fresh, you know, you, you're not picking it out of a tin or a can. Um, you're kind of avoiding a lot of kind of processed sugary foods. Those kind of things will create a lot of diversity because your, your microbiomes live and nourish and they kind of flourish, sorry, more so on things like, you know, if you have like your prebiotic foods, your fiber-based foods, you know, we're talking about a lot of your veggies, we're talking about things like garlic and leek and those kind of things, your kimchi, things that kind of like prebiotic-based meals that can cause those bacteria or the viruses or the fungi to grow. Yes. So having a good diet is important. But again, I say to people, not just, okay, I'm eating well, I'm eating like one or two things every single day. Yeah. Again, you need the variety. variety. The variety. Yeah. yeah, and I would add to that that the, yes, uh, good nutrition, but then the idea of what is good nutrition comes to mind because people have a very different idea yeah. of what good nutrition is. And I would agree with you that um, a lot, a variety of fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes and nuts and seeds, um, the greater the variety, the better. And is in particular... High fiber foods are particularly yes. beneficial. Um, I remember also learning about the, the prebiotics, um, seem to be very strong in root vegetables. So the high fiber root vegetables like burdock, yaka, cassava, hikama, things that, you know, yeah. have really exotic names, but, you know, actually taro, yeah. daikon, you know, of course, beets and carrots, but, um, these root vegetables that have really a certain composition in terms of starch, but also fibers that are really, really feeding uh, the microbiome in, in really powerful ways. And I think there's always this discussion, is fiber more important or is fermentation more important? And I would like to say both fermented okay. foods. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know who might be listening, because I think in the West, fermented foods are not, there are not that many options for healthy Low sugar, by the way, low sugar yeah. fermented foods, right? Um, things like kimchi, which is a staple of Korean food. I mean, you three times a day you get kimchi. Um, sauerkraut. Yes. Um, yogurts. In my experience, I prefer to go with goat or coconut or alternative yogurts to the cow um, yogurts because of the caseine issues. But um, yogurts and uh, what else would we say miso, uh, yeah, miso tempeh, tempeh for those people who yeah. can tolerate soy and important to get organic non-gmo soy if you yeah. do go with miso and tempeh 
What other I mean, food? sometimes you can also do a little bit of fermentation at home. Like I sometimes get lots of different veggies. You know, I get cabbage, I get the broccolis, cauliflowers, and I I will I will ferment them, and it becomes like a pickle, similar to the whole kimchi concept. If you don't like so much something too spicy. Your pickling system can become part of your fermentation yes. process, yes. which can also help. Um, you know, adding a lot of garlic and leeks and stuff like that into your um, into your dishes. Sort of dishes exactly that will also help with yes. the microbiome. Yeah, microbiome. Fantastic. So I love kombucha. That's another yeah. one. And in my twenties and thirties, I got into making it at home. But honestly, I. Before you knew it, I had a production. You just can't give it away exactly. fast enough. It just grows. And it's just growing and growing and growing. Um, so then, of course, I had to, you yeah. know, let it go. And also, I started traveling. And then I did it again. And the same thing happened. And I love it. I love making kombucha. But it does take over. But that's one really great way also. But you have to be careful with the sugar content that's of exactly, kombucha. Yeah. Very, yeah. very careful with that. So finding low glycemic and experimenting does the kombucha work when you have less sugar in it very true um, but and, yeah. and also making sure that you don't have too much like sometimes i say to people okay have a shot start with that one because people think again oh kombucha is healthy yes. i can mm. drink it they will drink a whole bottle yes yes <laughs> and then it's again too much sugars yes. too much other things going on yes yeah the, the dosages the percentage of the yeah. food we eat wonderful So um, going back to what other things might uh, be helpful in terms of the high fiber foods, fermented foods, are there any particular supplements that are helpful? Um, supplement wise, there are things like um, um, inulin is one of them. Inulin, yes. yes. Yeah, so it's a really good also, it's kind of like a fiber, it's an undigestible fiber in a sense, which yes. the bacteria love. Yes. yes. And um, then you can do things like... Um, I mean, generally, I think things like um, flaxseed, chia seed, they're also giving a little bit of extra fiber yes. for, the, for, the, for, the, for the gut, for example, food-wise. Um, so, yeah, so that could be helpful. Yeah, supplement-wise, you could say that. I mean, potentially um, probiotics. I was going to ask yeah. you about that. That's where, yeah. yeah. What, are, what are your thoughts and feelings? I find probiotics are a good solution when you have an overgrowth of the so-called not very good bacteria. Mm -hmm. Or say, for example, you have a candida overgrowth. I mean, we've all got candida living in yes, us, but yes. if at, say, at times, you know, it's a little bit imbalanced and you've got an overgrowth happening, then the probiotics can help support the existing good ones you've got in the gut to flourish a little bit. Um, they they don't really colonize the gut particularly, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's just giving you that, it's kind of taking up the space so yes. the candida doesn't overgrow. I see yes. it in a very simple way. Yes, you know, yes, yes. So I think that could be an option yeah. if temporary, if you need it, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Would, you know, from some of the research that I've done, it's a good idea, I mean, to combine them with the prebiotics that it's more more helpful to very, get, a, yeah. if you're going to take the probiotics, particularly if you've had, of course, of antibiotics, it's highly recommended to, I would say a good two, three months, really focus on reestablishing the health of the microbiome. And, uh, and then the, the formulas with, of probiotics that contain prebiotics with them um, are a, a wonderful adjunct. I think always the foundation has to be solid. I think, you know, the food that we take in, the nutrition from our three meals a day or two meals a day, whatever we're doing, um, however we're pra practicing our, our feeding times, that that is the foundation. And then you can add the inulin or the pre and probiotics and the extras on top of a very good foundation. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I totally agree because if you're exactly because if you're completely depleted, if your if your gut is all over the place, I mean, you need to start again from scratch. You exactly. get the basics right, exactly. and then you build up on it. So exactly. yeah, I totally agree that. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. <laughs> We know that there's a really important link between uh, the health of our gut and our brain health. So the gut-brain connection. How does gut health affect our moods? Um, A very good question. Um, I I find that, I mean, first of all, we all know the gut-brain connection, obviously. And, you know, I'm sure people have noticed sometimes, you know, when you get stressed out, you might suddenly go, I'm really stressed, I'm really angry, I feel like there's a knot in my stomach, I can't eat anything, and or I feel sick, and or if you go before a presentation and you've kind of got this butterfly feeling, and you know, you haven't really, or you get diarrhea, for example, you haven't really eaten anything bad. So it goes to show that your emotional state, so what's happening in your brain and your mind is having an effect on your stomach. Mm-hmm. Now, this happens through the nervous system. There's a vagus mm-hmm. nerve that connects your enteric nervous system in your gut to your brain, and they communicate. So mm-hmm. if one's unhappy, tells the other one, I'm unhappy, the other one kind of affects the other one. Now, that's one, one part that um, um, is the connection, but also your gut produces a lot of um, neurotransmitters. Well your microbiome stimulates the gut lining to produce the the neurotransmitters. And we produce a lot of our happy hormones there, you know, your serotonin, your dopamine, you know, you um, uh, even your GABA, for example, to reduce stress and anxiety. So if you have an imbalanced gut, if things are not working very well, your production of those neurotransmitters also go down. So then indirectly has an effect on your mood and you will feel a little bit low, sad, maybe a bit irritated. So um, there is that kind of balance between, yes, how we perceive stress on the outside, how it has an effect on our mind emotionally, then our physical. Also, what's going on in the gut can have the same thing. Yes. Um, anything else you can think of? Any yeah. other connections? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I find it fascinating that we do produce in our gut um, and through the balance of the microbiota um, that we are able to produce chemicals, the neuromodulators that are produced and having an effect on our brains, but they're yeah. produced in the gut. I just find that fascinating. Exactly. And um, and for those who are listening, I mean, isn't it up to 70 or 80% of our serotonin production is in our gut? And serotonin is that feel-good neuromodulator where we you know, feel relaxed, we feel happy, and we can sleep well. Um, it's calming, but not in the same way that GABA is. GABA literally slows down the impulses in the nervous system. So we really are being calmed and sedated in a, in a healthy way. And that's produced in the gut. And then dopamine, which is the motivator. And it's like, I want to go out and hunt and get what I want and get that reward. That's produced in the gut. So the health of our gut in very direct ways is, is affecting the balance of our neurotransmitters, neuromodulators, and therefore having a, a direct impact on what the brain chemistry balance is. Yeah. And, um, and I, I find in Chinese medicine, we always have talked about the emotions are having a physical impact, which is what you alluded to when you started, but, to, but also that it goes the other way around, that the health of our physical body has a direct impact on our moods and our emotions. Um, so to have it verified with science something that was understood a long, long, long time ago is, is wonderful. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that have a negative effect on our gut health and therefore directly affect our moods? What are some of the things that come to mind? For me, the number one is sugar. 
100%. for me, without any doubt, yeah. the number yeah. one culprit yeah. on both affecting the gut health because it disrupts the balance of the healthy bacteria and yeah. the not so healthy bacteria and funguses, etc., in in our gut. Um, I would say that's the number one culprit, and it affects also our blood sugar levels, and therefore it has an effect on our hormonal system through the insulin. So, and throwing us out of balance. And it really dramatically has an effect on the moods, our emotional state, the brain inflammation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it's so potent, the effect of sugar on our health and our moods that in my opinion, it should be, it should come with warnings. Uh, the way we do with tobacco, yeah. I literally feel that everyone's health physically, emotionally, and mentally would be improved if we had warning labels about the sugar content of certain foods. 100%. I completely agree. I mean, they say it's as addictive as cocaine or even more. Exactly. And it's... Because um, it's so pervasive. Yeah. It's difficult to avoid it. Completely. And I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, in, I would say, say, many, many moons ago, <laughs> you know, if you were, you wouldn't be exposed to so much sugar. You know, if you came across, I don't know, some honey somewhere, that would be your, your sugar fix for the year, maybe, or for the, for the month. Yes. But here, but nowadays, every day and every little thing that we eat, you know, even if we think it's healthy, they're still loaded with sugar. Yes. And sugar doesn't have to just be the, you know, the white sugar that we see that's processed, but it's yes. also from, you know, if we're having a lot of dried foods, for example, or, you know, um, if we go through phases that, oh, maybe agave nectar's, you know, fine. Then it's that syrup and that one. At the end of the day, all of that has an impact yes. on your, on your blood sugar. And, and it's all about moderation. It's all about being aware yes. as well. Yes. And I totally agree. It really does because Again, if we go as an example of candida, most of the time when people, when we say to you, if you've got candida, avoid sugar. Yes. And because that candida is flourishing, it's loving it. Yes. And to add to that as well, I think stress has a big impact mm -hmm. um, on our digestion and our gut microbiome and how uh, the diversity of it as well, mm -hmm. because your body will go through the same hormonal cascades when you go through the stress as you do if you were basically kind of like having a lot of blood sugar fluctuations. Mm -hmm. So again, that can have an impact mm -hmm. on um, the microbiome and on your mood as yes. well. Yes. So what are some other foods that you think are, are big culprits in disrupting, you know, the health of the microbiome and therefore having an impact on our um, brains and moods? Yeah, I would say um, alcohol um, mm -hmm. is a big one. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's because of the sugar load in alcohol and or is it also what alcohol does to the liver and somehow it, the liver being strained. I would say both, both. to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's, um, it's, yeah, you, in one aspect is the sugar and the other one, your body has to get rid of it. So. Yeah, well, it's a poison. Yeah. What people don't realize is that alcohol is a poison and that the body is literally, when we say intoxicated, <laughs> it really is intoxicated and it, it takes an enormous amount of effort for the body to neutralize that poison, is yeah. particularly the liver. So it's the sugar load plus the fact that it's a poison. Exactly. And it does affect our brain health. I mean, even one drink does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. And therefore and, our moods. And everything. And our sleep. And it just goes on to a ripple effect. Yes. Of lots yeah, of domino things. effect. That's right. Yeah. I um, notice it, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I notice even one glass of wine for two or three days. I absolutely notice it affects my moods. Without a doubt. Mm. And it has, it has made a difference in my choice of whether or not to drink. Of course, I enjoy, you know, a glass of wine. Of course I do. I even enjoy tequila and gin, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean I let myself indulge very often. But because I can really 
notice the impact on my mood for the next two or three days, I have to think very hard whether it's worth it. Worth it. Whether That's, it's worth it. Yeah, that is the question. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I find as well, I think, and our bodies change as well. I remember when we were in our 20s, we could get away with, you know, drinking, recovering, going back to sort of work and doing it. Now it's like, no, your body's kind of going. Yes. I'm, I have to, um, yes. I have to take time to recover from this. So that's a really important yeah. one, the alcohol. Yeah, definitely. Does anything else come immediately to um, mind? I would say uh, basically processed foods, you yes. know, um, again, you know, we're living in such a fast paced society that none of us really have time to sit there cooking. You know, everyone's like, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I can't do this. It has to be easy. So what's happening is like, you know, ready made meals, which are loaded with sugar, salt, preservatives, um, sort of takeaways, fast foods, you know, kind of let me just grab something quickly and eat it. And what happens is that we're not getting the right amount of nutrients in there. We're just getting an overload of all the other stuff that is not going to be beneficial for our microbiome. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that we're not getting enough fiber in the diet as well. And um, so, yeah, those would be the ones that would kind of mm -hmm. come to mind quite a mm -hmm. lot. Um, uh, but anything else you can think of? Or? Well, I'm trying to think, you know, what else? Um, and I'm not sure about caffeine. Yeah, that, that's that's also a good <laughs> the coffee topic. Yes, yes. Um, yes, too much caffeine can disrupt um, yeah, it can disrupt your gut microbiome. It can disrupt your, it actually increases acidity in the body. So I always kind of, it's, it's a very tricky one with coffee because I think it's the relationship people have with coffee. They, in, you know, in one aspect, we get a lot of research out there. Oh, coffee is high in antioxidants. It can do this. It can do that. And at the same time, we can see that people have a very unhealthy relationship with caffeine. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it all, with regards to caffeine, I would look at it as a, it has to be in moderation and it has to be why you're taking the caffeine. Mm -hmm. If you're taking it because you're, you can't function in the day, you have the first thing in the morning you need to get out of bed is a cup of coffee and you need to keep repeating that through the day. It is indicating a whole host of other things that are going on in your body, like depletion, adrenal fatigue. Potentially that's going to affect your gut microbiome as well. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go into this cascade of it's just making the situation more and more worse rather than actually supposedly helping you through it. So in those kind of situations, I would say avoid, you need to nourish the gut, you need to heal the gut, you need to feed the gut to also then be able to support your adrenals, for example. Mm -hmm. But then if you have a different type of relationship with coffee where it's like, I'll enjoy one occasionally, it's my afternoon at 12 o'clock, I might have one coffee, fine as long as everything else is in balance, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say. So I recently gave up caffeine. Um, I gave it up, I think it was in July. Well done. <laughs> yes, and I, but I didn't drink coffee. Uh, mm. So everyone thinks caffeine coffee, yeah, right? Because that's, that's for the vast majority of people yeah. what it is. And, and, and that's very important what you covered. Uh, for me, it was oolong teas and green teas. I mean, I am an aficionado for decades of greens first and then oolongs. I suppose my... Training in traditional Chinese medicine exposed me to it. My same Taiwanese friend, she exposed me to it. And I just, I just loved it. And I loved the ritual of it, as many people do with coffee. I loved the sitting quietly and doing the traditional Chinese tea pouring and, you know, repouring and so forth. So my caffeine intake was titrated, right? It wasn't one big, you know, heaping mm. amount of caffeine. It was gradual, but it was still caffeine. And I loved it throughout the day. What I've noticed since I gave it up is that my sleep is much better, but much more importantly, I have maybe 
quadrupled my energy level. It's unbelievable wow. because what I'm not doing by not having the caffeine is I'm not draining my adrenals. And so for me, I, I just feel so much more energetic and stable energy throughout mm. the day. There, there is no up and down. Whereas before, without my realizing, my energy would wane when the caffeine would start to go, you know, below a certain level. And then I take another yeah. little pot, little pot, because the pots are tiny. Oh, I'm not taking much because it's so little, but it's throughout the day, right? Titrated. And uh, so I have noticed a huge, huge difference on that level, but I haven't, I can't say I've noticed a difference in my gut health, mm -hmm. which is interesting. That's why I'm asking the question. And I certainly haven't come across research about that, mm -hmm. but I do know that coffee substitutes that have chicory and dandelion roasted and barley roasted if you don't have any gluten issues they're really rich in fiber they have all these other components mushroom blends that are coffee substitutes have all these health benefits for us and so for those of you listening who know that maybe your coffee intake is too high and you would like to move on to something else there's some fabulous coffee substitutes that are rich in the prebiotics and, and that would be something that would be nourishing to the gut. In fact, we have a, our own detox coffee. Yes. <laughs> which is one of my favorites. Which one. is my favorite. <laughs> is my favorite. You yeah. too? Yeah, I really like it. I, I, I try to drink it at home at least maybe a couple of times a week. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's wonderful for the liver because it has the roasted dandelion leaves and mm. roots. So plus it has other wonderful things in it. So it's, it, and it's loaded with prebiotics. So that's another thing that people who want to feed their microbiome can think about. Are there things that are particularly helpful to our moods? So how do we feed ourselves to improve our moods? Meaning the brain inflammation is low and therefore our, our biochemistry is healthier and that will have an impact. It's not everything. Yeah. I am not a believer that the biochemistry is everything. In, in other words, that if I get my biochemistry right, I'm going to be a happy, fulfilled person. No, yeah. uh, we are not. I'm not mechanistic. Uh, I, I see us as much more complex than purely our biochemistry. However, biochemistry is very powerful. And if we can improve the biochemistry to have better moods, um, that sets up a really good foundation for any other work we want to do around our mood regulation and mood balances. Yeah. So are there any things that come to your mind? I'll, I'll tell you what comes yeah. to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Omega-3s. What, yep. That's like number one for me. Yep. When I think about what can I feed myself that is going to really improve, I don't know if it's because it directly improves the gut microbiome, but it definitely has an impact on the health of the brain, the inflammation of the brain, exactly. and um, therefore mood. So for me, probably my number one go-to that I recommend and that I use mm -hmm. um, is the fish oils, first and foremost in my foods, you know, um, and then with the, the wonderful fish, I mean, sardines and mackerel and salmon and um, the oily fish and the smaller, the better. Um, and, and then secondarily as a supplement, trying to find really high quality, very pure. I've done a podcast on this for the you listeners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you can listen to that podcast, um, but uh, on, on the quality, how to find quality uh, omega-3. So that's my number one. What, yeah. what, what are some of your thoughts on that? Um, I find 
I tend to look at it like, okay, so in order for us to also be able to produce all these lovely like serotonin and our mood enhancing hormones, I will look at what the base ingredients are, like what is needed to actually create those. So protein is one of them, um, um, particularly the tryptophan, the amino acid in the protein, I think is important. So, so which proteins have higher tryptophan? So um, turkey, for example, yes. chicken would have yes. some, um, nuts and seeds do have some as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, I would say more the turkey meat yes. particularly. Yes. And then looking at also making sure that you also get your um, your vitamins and minerals on the sides that need, that, that are basically your cofactors. Yes. They are supporting the conversion of this tryptophan into serotonin right. eventually. Right. So looking at your magnesiums, for example, your B vitamins, um, looking at your zinc, those kind of things which you can get from foods like, um, again, like you, I'm a big believer. If you can eat it, you eat it first. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> if you can't or you can't get enough of it or yes. if you're very depleted, then we get the supplements yeah. in. So magnesium would be things, again, like a lot of your nuts and seeds would have them. A lot of your vegetables will have the magnesium in there. Um, you're looking at um, things like zinc, which would be um, organ meats actually have them. Oysters would have them. Um, I love oysters. Yeah, completely. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we, we and them. I love I love living on a tropical island where you can get such fresh seafood, fish yes. and seafood, which is my preferred source of protein. Yeah. Uh, in terms of animal proteins, it's fish. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Fresh fish. So here, lots yeah. of options, which, yes. is, which is great. Yes. And, um, and so, yeah, if you get these kind of foods into your diet, then you're supporting the conversion that you've got the base mm -hmm. ingredient to make mm -hmm. those warm, those those happy hormones mm -hmm. as well. Pumpkin seeds, by the way, are very very high in zinc. Very true. And yes. uh, mm. and so they're a fabulous source um, of zinc. And zinc is really important for hormone production as well. I mean, it's an incredible mineral that we need to ensure we get enough of. Yeah. But the other thing is, um, pumpkin seeds are used in traditional Chinese medicine as antiparasitics. So a handful, a couple times a day of pumpkin seeds is an antiparasitic. And that's, I, I, I just want to kind of go into this a little bit, which is, um, you know, when we talk about the microbiome, we want the health of it. We want the right balance of the healthy uh, microbes, et cetera. But what are some of the things when we do have parasites, you know, we do have to sometimes treat for parasites. And if we use antibiotics, which is what's normally prescribed, um, we run the risk of wiping out the microbiome and having to start from scratch. On the other hand, we don't want parasites living inside us. I mean, that can lead to, and does lead to some serious um, problems and issues and diseases yeah. that can even be life-threatening. So pumpkin seeds we use in Chinese medicine as well as different herb formulas. What are some of the things that you know of that are helpful in um, this regard? Well, it's oregano oil. Uh -huh. um, so even having oregano in your diet, yeah. that could be good. Um, garlic mm -hmm. is another good one um, that you can add. Um, I know we okay. use ginger a lot when we cook mm. seafood and fish in Chinese medicine because it's really good for seafood poisoning. It sort of prevents it. And also if you have it, it helps get rid of it, um, which is so bizarre because we just think of ginger as this little mild little root that has this spicy pungent flavor, but it's actually quite potent. Wasabi, also very yeah. pungent, and that's yeah. why it's used with raw sushi. It's meant to um, kill the potential parasites in the raw 
seafood. Yeah, that's the beauty of like, you know, when you look back at how traditional foods are combined, there's always a reason yes. why they put things together. Together, absolutely. And, um, and if we can go back to those roots, then we kind of are covering a lot of aspects yes. that we might have forgotten and yes. not doing. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so there's there's many different things. I yes. mean, in those situations, I would, I would highly recommend also seeing a practitioner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, to go in yeah. depth. Absolutely. I was just thinking yeah. on a food basis, what we could be including in our food that would be yeah, helpful. That so, would sort of preventative. Yeah, yeah, yeah preventative exactly. more than um, treating. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add uh, is to make sure we're eating enough healthy oils um, because dry stool can lead to a whole nother host of problems. And I think the healthy fats, because a lot of people still are of the mindset that you know, really, really, if you want to be healthy, you can't eat a lot of fat. And I'm not a proponent of a lot of fat. I'm a proponent of healthy fats. So I suppose the nuts, the seeds, the fish, the squid, you know, which is also has a lot of omega-3s. Um, these types of foods will make sure that we have enough of the healthy fats and maybe also avocados, which is yeah, a fruit. Yeah. Um, olives, seeds, olives, example, yeah, olives, flax seeds, yeah. flax seeds, olives. And as much as possible, try to eat these as whole foods rather than walnut oil as a salad dressing. Yeah. Like eat the walnuts, olive oil, eat the olives as much as possible. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use olive oil or walnut oil or, or fl flax oil, but you can't cook with flax oil. Uh, but uh, but mm -hmm. don't be shy of the oils, which will also be very um, healing to the brain and the nervous system. Yeah. So through the gut making sure that we have the healthy fats for the nervous system and for the brain, as well as it will help um, the elimination through the intestines happen more easily, exactly, um, effortlessly. Yeah, I agree. I Great. Agree. Why do you think that plant-based diets have become so popular? And why is fiber intake so important? We did talk about the fiber being linked to it feeding these microbes that exactly. they just really love. <laughs> the more fiber, the better. <laughs> the better exactly. And it also bulks out everything. So good for bowel movements. Yes, yes, yes. And we really do want to keep everything moving. If you think of our bodies as a city, what happens if the you know, sewage system in a city breaks down? I mean, very quickly, very quickly, we start to have problems including infections and diseases and outbreaks, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's very important in our bodies to make sure that the full elimination system is w running very well, efficiently and well, that things are not staying stuck in our stuck, bodies. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, wh why do you think the plant-based diet is so important? Has become so, not so important, why has it become so popular? You know, um, I think it could be lots of, I, I, there's lots of different reasons. I would say uh, one of them is, one of the big ones, I think, probably made people aware was the way the animals were treated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that came from a, you know, when uh, these that they are mass producing, for example, in chicken farms, and then the quality of the meat has gone down. So you know, you're you're not having a grass-fed beef like cow that's running around, and you know, you're having one that's in a cage full of antibiotics and hormones. So part of it is, I think, more of a conscious thing that you know they don't want to be eating maybe so much animal meat. Part of it is because the meats are not maybe as healthy as they were. Um, also, sometimes, you know, certain if you're eating in large quantities, if you're eating very sort of, I would say, um, not the greatest quality of proteins, it can cause inflammation. It can cause other stuff in the gut. Saying that, though, 
we still need protein. So I, I'm, all, I'm about how much you eat, what quality you eat, what quantity you eat. These are the important things to sort of, um, sort of look at. But yeah, I think partly is um, because of health and, and um, different maybe. I agree. I agree with you that um, one of the important reasons, and it's a reason that I can understand very well and can relate to, is the humanitarian reason where the treatment of animals uh, that are in these large production houses um, is it's shocking if you yeah. know if you're informed about that it can make it very difficult to continue to consume animal products when you when we're when any of us is well informed about that the treatment at the same time it's not just a humanitarian issue it's also because animal cruelty is just quite appalling mm-hmm. but but there's also the issue of it, what they're injected with what they are fed um, not just how they're treated, and they really are, um, how shall I say it, contaminated exactly. with hormones, yes. estrogen to make things grow faster for the cows to, you know, uh, breed more and have more milk and to get bigger, um, the antibiotics to keep them from getting infections because in these conditions they, they, get, they infect one another very easily. And then when we consume that product, we're taking all of those hormones, mm. all of those antibiotics right into our system. So I think health reasons yeah. uh, in that regard is another reason. I think the issue of the environment is also uh, has become has come to the foreground yes, yeah. um, because the what it takes, what's required of water and space to produce one kilo of beef versus one kilo of chicken versus one kilo of you know broccoli (laughs) is extremely different and so i think i think that has all of that has contributed Mm. um to the choices that more and more people around the world are making to have a more plant-based diet like to to lean into that direction even while still eating animal protein um the other thing i think is that there's a greater consciousness about health and nutrition and the link between our foods and our state of well-being, yeah. both physically, emotionally, and then also, of course, mentally. I think that awareness has grown, and it's so exciting. I'm sure from when you were in school or when I was in school, which is even way before you were, it wasn't yet in in the common arena that food True. can be your medicine. Food can be for health. It's not just for the palate. It can really make a difference in terms of how we feel, our energy levels, our vitality, and importantly, how we move into our aging process right over time what happens on which kinds of diets and in my research i came across something very interesting because it's to your point about we still need protein um there's research where you know they've studied the blue zones and they've studied you know the behavior it's not just their nutrition and so forth but if we just look at the nutrition it seems that the optimum diet for longevity is fully plant-based with some fish but not daily fish, yeah. Uh, two to three times a week fish, mm. right? So it's interesting that we don't need as much protein as the Western world tends to feel that we need. Now, I'm not advocating that we don't eat meat or that we yeah. eat in a particular way. I'm just quoting some of the research. There's a researcher on this subject that I found fascinating, uh, uh, Longo, Dr. Walter Longo, and he, mm. he has done a lot, a lot of research into longevity and aging well. And uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me because in India, you find 
of course, a lot of unhealthy people because they're <laughs> eating too much, <laughs> because they're eating too much sugar yeah. um, and other unhealthy habits, as everywhere in the world. I yeah. don't want to single out India, but you also find I know in Nepal, in India, in the Himalayas, people who have been plant based, who have a healthy lifestyle, and who live healthily, very healthily, to a hundred. Like yeah. it's not unusual. a question um how would your um what would you take beyond this you know as they because there's also research that as we get older we do we lose our muscle mass quite quickly and you know we don't take as much protein in so um how did that research say anything about how you maintain your strength or no i think exercise is also linked to Mm. longevity so and it requires more than a little bit um but the minimum minimum would be 30 minutes a day as a baseline, but on the weekends doing an hour to two hours um, of low cardio, like it doesn't have to be high impact. And then of course we know strength training as we age is very important to maintain muscle mass. Literally you can see the difference. And interestingly enough, our bodies respond very rapidly to strength training, even when they've done research in nursing homes, right? Um, And uh, many are able to move out of the nursing home just from six months to a year wow. of strength training. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say strength training is primary to maintain our strengths and our muscle mass as we age. And again, we do need more protein as we age, but it's still a lot less than what we normally yes. consume and we I think agree. we consume. Mm-hmm. So again, if you're, let's say, under 50 in this longevity uh, diet approach, you would have fish twice to three times. But if you're over that age and you are thin, you need to augment that to maybe three to four times a week, possibly five times a week. Interesting. Um, yeah, okay. really solid evidence mm-hmm. to that. So I found that fascinating. Yeah, we'll pescatarian over mm-hmm. completely vegan or completely vegetarian. Yeah. So, so that's again, it's, by, it's bringing that balance. Yes. Bringing that sort of, again, diversity, having the sum of your macronutrients in proportion, in what amount, in yes. what quantity. Yes. Yeah. I Absolutely. also was listening to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who started experimenting with nutrition when we were talking about what can we do to improve our moods. Uh, what, what are some of the things that's just coming to my mind? And one of the things he mentioned is he did an experiment for 30 days where he really every day made soups and smoothies and salads with like 30 different kinds of vegetables every day, really making it uh, a goal mm-hmm. to create the diversity in terms of what he consu- consumed in fruits and vegetables and the difference it made to his uh, well-being physically and mentally in one month was dramatic. So let's not let's underscore yeah when we say diversity it's not 10 exactly that's the thing like you know you do get people like even sometimes when people say to you yes i'm plant-based they're pretty much eating just lettuce tomatoes and maybe a couple of vegetables and you know it it requires having that diversity and like you said not just 10 the more the better yes 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 exactly (laughs) um can we get sufficient protein Mm -hmm. from plants versus animal protein in order to maintain our health um it's it's you can as long as you're getting a big big diversity of your plant-based proteins and it's the way you mix it up i mean if we want to look at it uh, scientifically or biochemistry wise i mean your animal you've got about you've got various essential what we call essential we've got amino acids which are the building blocks of proteins and some of these are essential some are non-essential the essential ones are the ones that we don't produce 
So yes, if we eat an animal protein, we can get those nine essential ones all in one, easy, your body can take it and it's fine. But if you're having in vegetarian ones, you have to make sure you have diversity because they won't contain all nine in one broccoli, for example. So again, it's all about making sure that you have a mix and you mm -hmm. combine your mix. And then, yeah, I would say you'll be able to um, keep that balance, yeah. Okay. Balance, balance, balance. Oh, balance yeah. <laughs> the middle path, like they say yeah. in Buddhism. What is what do you think is more important for weight management, nutrition or exercise? I would say, first of all, that question is not <laughs> the right question. I don't think we have to choose one over the other. I think nutrition and exercise have a synergistic effect for not just for weight management, actually, but for health, vitality, healthy aging, et cetera, et cetera. So the first thing is, let's not choose. Let's yes. not think of the paradigm of either or. Um, and, and this, I want to give one little example, which is um, we had two chefs. Uh, they were both of Indian origin and same part of India, and they were both in their 30s. And when we did our health check, they both had cholesterol levels of over 300. Yeah, right? And uh, one of them decided he wanted to address his, the issue by intensely exercising. He felt that would be the way. And he did for a year. He committed himself to training, I think, four or five times a week. And, in this, and didn't, made no other changes. Um, and in the span of one year, he dropped his cholesterol level 50 points just through exercise. So modest, but nonetheless, it had an impact, yeah. a positive impact. The other one was a chef. And so, of course, he wanted to do it through nutrition and through food choices. And so he informed himself. He talked to our naturopaths. He talked to me. And he made a plan of action, which he implemented. And in eight weeks, he dropped his cholesterol level 150 points. So both worked. Yeah. One had a much bigger impact. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, we want to get results and not get impatient <laughs> that the results are going too slowly. However, I am a strong believer that exercise has other benefits that nutrition doesn't touch. And, um, and I don't think we should choose. I think we need to use both as the, along with sleep. So actually it's a triage, yeah. you know, uh, of, of levers to really, really set a foundation for amazing physical vitality, health markers being just right in the zone mental well-being, emotional well-being, yeah. and just feeling like we do when we feel fantastic. You know, we've had enough sleep and we're on the right diet, we're not inflamed. And uh, 100%, 100%. Like, you know, I always get it. You know, you get people saying, oh, but I'm eating so, um, like what I'm saying, I'm, I'm, eat, I'm exercising so much. Why am I not shifting? Why am I not losing? And then we say, let's look at what you're eating. Yeah. And then if you see people that are just eating a healthy diet, what will happen is your strength decreases, right. your, your cardiovascular health goes down. Yeah. So I, I the, agree, both is as 100%, yeah. including the sleep. I definitely agree with that as well. Without the sleep, you can't do any of the any others. Any of the others, <laughs> right. And also just, yeah. yes, and I think, I think we're running out of time, but I'll just, a time. Uh, in Chinese medicine, mm. exercise is given the heavier emphasis because it's through exercise that we generate qi energy mm -hmm. in the same way that a waterfall generates electricity right the falling of the water and then we can harness the electricity um movement generates vitality it generates the energy that sparks everything else so don't choose don't prioritize one over the other i struggle 
but I struggle because I have a natural inclination to nutrition as being my pillar versus exercise. Although when I exercise and I'm on a regular program, which I had for most of my life until I hit about 50, um, I love how I feel when I'm doing exercise. So there's no question that both are equally important. Don't prioritize one over the other. But sometimes when we're treating diseases, when we're treating markers that have gone off balance, nutrition takes a primary role. Yeah. I mean, naturopathically, we would kind of say probably about, you know, focus 70% on the nutrition, 30, 40% on your exercise. So, but make sure both are there. Yeah. So, yeah, you could look at it that way yeah. as well. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Leila. It's been fun for us to have this conversation again and i look forward to doing it again in the future Me another too. update really enjoyed it. <laughs> i think we ha- leave a few subjects untouched i'd love to uh the next time maybe we can discuss all the different kinds of diets that there are the pros and cons uh ketogenic diet has become extremely yes. popular and what our thoughts are on the subject definitely like intermittent fasting there's, exactly yeah, there's always exactly. trends out there so how to hack your health through better nutrition <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you thank you so much <laughs> thanks bye thank you for tuning into our podcast today we hope that we were able to help you understand the basics of nutrition and the role it plays in our lives. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at kamalayaconnect.com and sign up for our Fundamentals of Nutrition educational course. We also offer one-to-one consultations, including nutritional guidance and holistic weight management. Our wellness retreat on Koh Samui in Thailand offers immersive wellness experiences that address gut health, detoxification and weight management goals, among other well-being modalities. For more information, please visit Kamalaya, that's K-A-M-A-L-A-Y-A dot com. If there are any future topics you would like us to add to our conversations, or if you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. Please send an email to info at Kamalaya dot com with the subject line, Wellness for Life podcast. Thank you for joining us today.